Well, good morning. It is wonderful to see all of you here this morning. I do hope and pray that your heart has been prepared to receive the word this morning. So I want to invite you to go with me to Romans chapter 2 this morning. We've made it through Romans 1. <laughs> wow. A couple months in and we're through Romans 1. So here we go, Romans 2. I hope you're ready. Um, while you're turning, just a couple quick words. Uh, first of all, it is so great to have you all here today. Every single Sunday morning, I get up and I cannot wait to see you folks. <laughs> all through the week. It's my family. So thank you for being here this morning. I know you had a lot going on this week. There's a lot happening in our community this week. Uh, in your homes this week, in your work schedules. But praise God that you came to church on Sunday morning to study God's Word together, to fellowship and to pray. So thank you for being here this morning. It is great to see you. As we say, we try to say regularly, our prayer, whether you're new to us or, or whether you're regular tender, is when you come in these doors, you're welcomed well, you are loved well, and that you are fed well. So now we're going to go to feeding. We're going to get to the Word of God, so um, I hope you're ready. Before we even do that, though, I don't normally preach in the forest, but uh, VBS is coming. Obviously, the theme is, is camp out, so if you have kids, grandkids, tomorrow night, it's actually Tuesday, don't come tomorrow night, Tuesday night, 6 o'clock here, they will hear the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, our children's director, Danielle has done so good at preparing us for this, and I pray that God would give grace this week. By the way, even if you're not participating in any way through as a volunteer or bringing kids, would you commit with me to pray? Pray for these young ones. They will learn truths this week that they, hopefully, by God's grace, will not forget the rest of their lives. We're going to start on Tuesday night, Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. Would you pray that these young ones would grasp the concept of God's glory in the world we live in today, even through all this outright mess and this brokenness, that we can see expressions of God's glory. Then this, and by the way, I've got to share some of these announcements today because Jim and Diane decided to take off on us for the week. Pray for them. I know all of you have to work hard to stay awake today because the coffee bar wasn't open. So you have to work extra hard. Maybe I'll throw in a couple extra yells or amens or something. But uh, pray for Jim, Diane, that they have a great week away. Um, but one last thing I'll mention, and we'll just we'll pile the, the announcements next week. Jim will have double duty next week. Um, pray about your part in helping with a couple substantial maintenance expenses. We've mentioned this a couple times. Uh, there's about fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 worth of work we need to do here and on the Mian Church, particularly here on this um, auditorium, the outskirts. The, the, the roofing is not working <laughs> on the outside. It's been there a while. So we've got to make some, um, make some fixes to these things, unless when the rain comes we want to be swimming in here. Uh, we better start making some of these fixes, and I know... As an elder team, we've been praying about the best way to handle this. But if you feel God's leading to help participate even financially with your resources to see these projects happen, uh, would you pray about that 
Uh, praise God, I know there's already been, uh, I think about $10,000 that's been donated to this. So praise God for that, these resources that are coming in. The other part of this is the me and church. These people, by God's grace, meet every Sunday a wonderful body of believers here on this campus. And their building is starting to need, well not starting, it needs some substantial repairs as well. So would you just pray about your part in that? And then one last thing. If you have a white Nissan Altima, <laughs> and it is parked over here in the shade, just so you know your car is vulnerable. If there's an entrance up there, and if you don't want all dents in it and substantial repair work to do by the end, you may want to go ahead and move that. Not that it won't happen, uh, it's going to happen, but it may happen, so be warned. If you have a white Nissan Altima, I'm not going to even try to get the license plate number, but it's parked in the shade up here. It might have extra decorations at the end, especially if we're long in Romans chapter 2. So let's get into Romans chapter 2 this morning. If you're new with us, we're back on this journey through the book of Romans. Last week, we took a little bit of a day off uh, through our journey. We were in Matthew 6 for Father's Day, and we we rejoiced in our Heavenly Father that He provides our needs. Well, today we're back on this journey. The tour bus is back on the move. So I hope you're ready. Um, The first leg of the journey, if you turn your hand out over, you'll kind of see this outline of Romans. Uh, The first leg of the journey is the introduction. First 17 verses, roughly, of Romans chapter 1. And on this introduction, this journey, this first leg through this introduction, we very clearly are introduced to some really awesome theological terms. We're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ and the righteousness of God. These are terms that we will see highlighted all the way through our journey as we're taking this tour bus and we're looking out the windows constantly over the next year we're going to see billboards that say the righteousness of God the gospel of Jesus Christ all the way through this book of Romans well now we are in the second leg of our journey and this is ugly <laughs> this is the absolute barn I mean you can't even argue this this is the absolute worst part of our journey <laughs> It's ugly. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18, traveling all the way on this journey, we don't even sometimes want to look out the windows on this tour bus because it's ugly. Nonetheless, this is part of our journey in through Romans. I mean, Romans chapter 1, we start off this leg of the journey with this verse, Romans 1.18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Man, you read that and you're like, I can't wait to see what's on this, journey, this leg of the trip. No, that's not our natural response. We're like, oh dear, what's coming? Well then for the rest of chapter 1, we see this truth suppressors talked about. I mean, like we talked last week, this, or two weeks ago. This is the ugliness of Sin City. We be in the ghetto. (laughs) This is is not good stuff. We're seeing the true condition of the human heart exposed as we're traveling through this Sin City. I mean, very clearly we find this key truth that we've been talking about for several weeks and several reasons to Paul's argument, but here's the key truth. A righteous God condemns 
All unrighteous truth suppressors. And if you want to flip that around, you could say it this way. All unrighteous truth suppressors are guilty before a holy God. Not a single one of them stands exempt from God's wrath. Wow. Well, doesn't get any better, brothers and sisters. <laughs> Romans chapter 2. Oh, it does get better, but that's going to be in chapter 4. 3. But today, it's not going to get any better. You're like, Pastor, can't you just share with us hope? Yes, we'll talk of hope at the end. But I'm telling you, it's got to get worse before it gets better. So hold on. Because we start into this next section. This next little, okay, so in the morning we looked at uh, this really ugly truth-suppressing part of it. But then, today, in chapter 2, we come up with this really ugly word that I'm going to be honest with you, not a single one of you came to church to hear this word. We hate this word. It's one of those words in our vocabulary that we're like, vocabulary, we're like, uh, wish it weren't there. Here's the word. Hypocrisy. Ah. Here's another word that goes right along with that. Judgmentalism. Ah. So what's the argument from the Apostle Paul? Here's the argument through this ugly part of our journey. Two things. One, every single human being is guilty of sin before a righteous God. Okay, so you go through chapter one and you're like, no kidding. These people are completely depraved by the way they live, their immorality, their thought process, everything about them sin. That's what true suppressors do. But then you get into chapter two and these people are kind of, their heads are bloated a little bit. I'm so glad I'm not like chapter one. You understand, this is what's going on in our own hearts. I'm so glad I'm not like all those people he described in chapter 1. But then number, the second part of this argument is God is completely justified in His condemnations of sin, sinful humans and every single one of us are born into this world as a sinful human. Even those people who don't think they fit in the category of Romans chapter 1. What, I'm, what am I talking about? Well, this leg of the journey, we've gone through the downtown Sin City, the ghetto. We've gone through these bad portions of it. Well, now we're entering into the burb, the suburbs, the posh hills. Ironically enough, in the posh hills, guess what? There's a church on every corner. Because in these posh hills, these people are looking down into the Sin City saying, I'm so thankful I'm not like them. I'm so thankful, God, that you kept me from being a sinner as bad as them. And we run into this first verse in Romans chapter 2. Would you look, with it, look at it with me? Therefore, you have no excuse, O oh man. <laughs> Every one of you who judges for in passing judgment on another, you... You're actually condemning yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. You ready for this? I'll tell you what, all through this week, I was not ready for this. I don't know how many times in my life I've read through this passage, I've studied it, I've memorized through this passage. This week, God was getting into my heart. This very day on my knees before God this morning, getting ready to preach this, thinking, God, by your grace, help me. 
There's so many ways this hypocrisy slides into my wicked heart, even as one saved by God's amazing grace. This key truth, though, a righteous God will condemn all self-righteous worshipers. In other words, if you want to switch the nouns in this key truth, you could say something like this. A self all self-righteous worshipers deserve the condemnation of a righteous God. Very clearly, that's where we're headed here. Chapter 2 fully exposes this. All right, so let's stop for a second and just kind of acknowledge this. Who are these self-righteous worshipers? Well, simply enough, these are those who think they are worshiping God, but are actually worshiping themselves. Verse 8 says this. We'll get to this next week. It says these people are dominating with, dominated with self-seeking worship. These self-righteous worshipers are those who enjoy outward forms and expressions of worship, but whose life has not truly been changed from the inside out by the gospel of Jesus Christ. These self-righteous worshipers are those who enjoy religious things in the name of God, but do not truly obey God. These self-righteous worshipers are those who talk about worship, the express appreciation for worship, but who have never actually experienced a true worship that includes true faith and, here's a key to the passage we're looking at today, true repentance. They've never humbled themselves in the sight of an almighty God. So before we jump into 2, 1 through 5 today, though, I want us to do this. We need to do this. Constantly as we study through this passage, we need to remind ourselves the original audience. Okay, so this is the congregation at Rome. We have received a letter from the Apostle Paul. All right, so let's just think about this. Remember, in this church, we have two basic ethnic type groups that have been saved by God's grace. And we need to remember, according to verse 7 of chapter 1, this is written to saints. All right, called to be saints. So this is written to believers. Believers analyzing where they had been and what God had done to save their souls. And so in this group, if we're the Church of Rome today, who would be part of us? We would have some who had been saved out of what would be like this um, formal traditional worship known as Judaism. All right, we have Jews here. Those who heard the apostles' doctrine at Pentecost, who came to saving faith in Jesus Christ by grace. Those who came out of this religious traditionalism and moral elitism and are pursuing Jesus Christ. All right, But that's not the only part of our congregation here. In fact, that would probably be a minimal part of us. More of us in Rome would be this group called Gentiles. Pagans. Okay, what am I talking about? These are those who came to Jesus out of truth-suppressing, sin-saturated paganism. This is what we've talked about last couple weeks. So if we're the Church of Rome, we've got some religious elites, and we've got some all-out pagans, and we've all come to Jesus. We've come to God through grace. And trusted in Jesus Christ. Well, let's now just think about this then, okay? So if you're reading through Romans 1, and by the way, we know that chapter designations didn't come 
like 1,500 years after this was written, but we'll still reference it this way. If we're the church of Rome and we're reading through chapter 1 and you are all, all of the Jews in here are reading through this and they're like, yeah, Brother Preacher Paul, you nailed it, man. All these self-righteous, in a sense, those who are saved out of this self-righteousness, they're looking around them and they're saying, here, here, Paul. Those truth suppressors are definitely sinners and definitely deserve God's wrath. Go get them, Paul. I mean, they're sitting here thinking, yeah, you nailed it, man. Or possibly maybe they might even be smuggling, smugly sitting back with their arms folded under their breath saying, I told all y'all that was the truth. Those are bad people. They came from bad background. Or maybe they're sitting there not saying a single thing, but they're thinking this. Here's what they're thinking. I thank God that I'm not in chapter 1. I thank God that I'm not nearly that bad. And then chapter 2 comes. <laughs> and you watch all these people, this, this religious elitism sit there, all of a sudden they start sliding back in their chairs. <laughs> the beads of sweat start coming across their face. You understand what I'm talking about? This is where we're at in this chapter. The smug faces start turning a little pale. The lit up Jewish amen section started getting a little squirmy. Why? Because Paul so appropriately pulls out his bony finger through pen and paper. And he says, hey man, lest you get a big head, you need to know that you were never exempt from the sin discussion. You may not have been involved in the depth of pagan depravity, but you, oh man, your religious elitism and self-righteous judgmentalism is just as an offense before the holy God. That's where we're at here. God's condemnation is justified for both the truth-suppressing Gentile pagans as well as the self-righteous Jewish worshipers. And here's the conclusion of the argument that we find in Romans chapters 1-3. through All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I really like what, how Tom Schreiner, one of my favorite commentaries on this, explains this. And he, what he does is he ties it back to some of our Old Testament texts. Here's what he says. The strategy of Paul's argument is comparable to what we find actually in Amos chapters 1 and 2. Paul attacked the Gentiles first. And while the Jews are saying, Amen, he shockingly indicts them as well. <laughs> That's what's happening here. And what is Paul's key truth to the Jewish believers? It's right here. A righteous God will condemn all self-righteous worshipers. All self-righteous worshipers are guilty before a holy God. And now he shares four arguments. Chapter 2, 1 through chapter 3, Seven, and we're going to take four weeks to look at these four arguments. You're thinking, praise God, we're not going to look at them all today. <laughs> we're going to look at one of them today. Four arguments that implicate these self-righteous worshipers. And here's the first reason. I mean, Paul doesn't hold back 
Reason one why a righteous God will condemn all self-righteous worshipers. Here it is. Because God's kindness will not ignore this word. Hypocrisy. God's kindness can't ignore the elephant in the room of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is just this ugly word and we're going to jump right into it. So I hope you're ready. (laughs) What are we talking about with hypocrisy? This is saying one thing and practicing another. This is living a double standard. This is being two-faced. We know all of these terms. But this is the point. God's kindness does not supersede or even stifle in the slightest His wrath against this hypocrisy. And we're going to see this developed in this argument. Somehow, these self-righteous people, these religious people are thinking, you know what? I'm okay. I have all these outward expressions of worship. I'm going to be okay. Because I know that there is a God who is kind. That's their basic argument. And now Paul is blowing this argument out of the water. And what does this hypocrisy lead to in verses 1-5? through It leads to this word, judgmentalism. Another very ugly word. We're not talking about being biblically discerning or perceptive because those are good things in the Bible. We need those things. But what we are talking about is arrogantly assuming a role of superiority and pointing a finger at someone else's sin while at the same time ignoring the severity of our own pet sins. That's what judgmentalism is. Essentially, it is trying to play the role of God and thinking, I have the right to express the wrath of God that is reserved really for God Himself. All right, so we clearly see in this passage, Romans chapter 2, 1 through 5, these married truths that go hand in hand of hypocrisy and judgmentalism. And brothers and sisters in Christ, as much as I want to skip through this passage, we got to get there. We got to ride through Romans chapter 1, 1 through 5. Would you join me as I read this? Read on your own as I read out loud. By the way, it's on the back of your handout. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man? By the way, I'll just insert this. When, when you read, oh man, kind of like in our present vernacular, this is real theological, real deep. Put dude in there. <laughs> All right. It just helps me think about that. All right. Do you suppose, dude, <laughs> you, I don't mean to bring down the text in any way, but in my mind that makes more sense. Do you suppose, dude, or oh man, you who judge those who practice such things, And yet do them yourself that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant for what? To lead us to repentance, not self-righteousness. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So a righteous God will condemn all, unri- all self-righteous worshipers. Reason one, because God's kindness will not ignore human hypocrisy. Let's just 
unfold this, unpack this hypocrisy a little bit, one verse at a time. First noticing this, this hypocrisy is that which judges others while overlooking personal sin. That's what Paul's attacking here. He says this, therefore, you have no excuse, O man. All right, so the therefore ties us right back to chapter 1. All the sins he's mentioned in chapter 1. It's tying us back to these things. All of these things being analyzed in chapter 1. And he says, therefore, you, are no, you have no excuse, oh man. You have no defense, dude. This diatribe style of Paul, his address, is noticeably intense. Actually, even if you look at how it's put together uh, in the original language, this interjection O next to this what's called a Greek vocative. It's like emphasis. So how you can see this is put oh man and actually in your mind you can put an exclamation point behind that. This is a big deal to Paul. He's like, you have no excuse, man. Who is without excuse? Every one of you who judges. This is referring to the finger pointers. We're talking about the finger pointers in culture are, that are like the first grader on the self-consumed power trip. Those who are so quick and comfortable to point out everyone else's sin problems and minimize their own. For in passing judgment, Paul says, on another, you condemn yourselves. Dude, you don't realize it but you're implicating yourself through your actions right now. That's what Paul's saying. By you judging others, all these people in chapter 1, by you sitting back there smugly saying, yeah, that's not me, you're implicating yourself. Anything you say can and will be used against you in the court of law. And brother, this is what Paul's saying, man, you're babbling a ton. <laughs> it's going to be used against you in God's court. Again, we remember that this is written to believers and this is written about their past lifestyle and about what they see. This is bringing clarity and soteriology. That's how Paul is writing here. This is what you came out of. You're so busy figuring out and exposing everyone else's debts that you don't realize your own debts are off the charts. You have been in bankruptcy for years. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. All right. Anytime you point the finger, this is what we tell our kids, right? Anytime you point the finger, you got three pointing back at you. That's what Paul's saying here. Somehow, some way, this self-righteous person of Romans 2 thinks that he or she can continue to practice sin. This is a present indicative active. To practice sin but that his or her sin is not as big of a deal as that person mentioned in chapter 1. And why is it not a big deal? Because I'm a formal worshiper of God. My friends, I mean, let's just make this practical. Do, do we not see this in our culture today? And we don't embrace this concept of judgmentalism. Because, and here's the point we're getting at. When we get to chapter 3, 4, 5, it is all of God's grace. 
This is who we were in our self-righteousness, in our judgmentalism. And when we come to Jesus Christ in faith and repentance, He redeems us by His own blood. But brothers and sisters in Christ, what was our origin? Sinners. Just because we worshiped God from the time we were two years old or two days old in the nursery doesn't exempt us from being sinners. This mentality is definitely rampant in what we know, and I'll just talk of this because we see it so profoundly in the culture we live in. It's called cultural Christianity. We're talking about a form of so-called worship that is full of comfort-loving, status-seeking, false-professing religious people. People that are comfortable hanging out with other people that are called Jesus people who love pointing the finger at other sinners while at the same time ignoring the severity of their own personal sin. That's who Paul's talking about. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, sadly, this is the temptation even among true believers. I think we need to grasp this. This is a sin from our old flesh that weasels its way so quickly even into the body of Christ, this judgmentalism. We are so good. Even as we're working through Romans chapter 1, last week I'm thinking, I'm safe, 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 good. I don't do that. And so what happens? I end up setting up this us versus them mentality. And oh man, that is the hypocrisy of my own heart. Because what has Christ done for me? He has saved a sinful wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. But I'm blind. I was blind, but now I see. Sure, we have been saved by God's amazing grace. We've been made into the new creations of God. We've been indwelt by the Spirit. But we tend to forget the, depra- the depravity we have been saved out of. And we tend to minimize the remaining propensities of our own flesh. Have you ever noticed this? Even as believers how good we are at categorizing our sin. You notice that? We're professionals at categorizing our sin. Those are the really bad sins, and those are the pet sins that are more respectable sins. Those are the more acceptable sins. And somehow, you ever notice this? My pet sin always makes its way into the more respectable side. That's who we are. That's the temptation of our hearts. Working through these own temptations in my life this week, my prayer was this and is this, oh God, by your sustaining grace, please keep me from the deception of hypocrisy in my own heart and the arrogance of judgmentalism. Help me to remember that I am a sinner only saved by your amazing grace. It is nothing of me. It is all of you. And I think that's the conclusion that Paul is drawing out of the church of Rome. Jews and Gentiles, 
maybe involved in pointing finger at each other, maybe involved in pointing fingers out there saying, I'm so glad we're not like that person or that person. And Paul is saying, no, no, no! It is all of God's grace. When we get to chapter 5, he's going to say, where sin abounded, grace superabounded. It's not of you. It is all of God's grace. That's why we can stand here and sing songs like, amazing grace, my chains are gone. Marvelous, infinite, wonderful grace. All of these songs we sang today, we're dialing in on the fact that God's grace is amazing. And it is not of us, it is all of Him. Well, let's go on to the next layer of argument here from the Apostle Paul. Knowing that, honestly, this, this is not easy stuff to swallow. Because this exposes dirtiness. <laughs> Hypocrisy that judges others while overlooking personal sin, but also hypocrisy that supposes God will also overlook my personal sin. (laughs) Did you catch that? So the hypocrisy is taking layers now. First of all, it's saying, you know what? I can overlook my own sin. Now it's leading to another thought in the development of argument here is now I'm thinking, okay, now since I've excused my sin, God's good. He'll go ahead and excuse my hypocrisy. That's where he's, what he addresses next. Verse 2, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, dude, <laughs> oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? So Paul has set up this dude stick figure And he is asking him questions. Do you suppose that God will also excuse your hypocrisy? This is not only overlooking sin in my own thinking, but now I'm expecting God to do the same. And this goes fits right into our natural inclination. Remember have we said almost every week that God is not who we want Him to be. God is who He says He is. We remember as we walk through this that God is God and I am not. And this comes into this discussion of condemnation. I am not God. I cannot tell God what He should and shouldn't do. What Paul is talking about here is this false notion that when one stands before God at the great white throne judgment of unbelievers, for all unbelievers, by the way, is the great white throne judgment, There's this expectation that somehow, and this is weasels into our minds, the minds of unbelievers, how they process this, is that God will somehow say, you're right. You're a religious person, so your sin was not as bad as those other people's sin. That's really what's going on here. Paul's clear response is, no, your sin is inexcusable before God. And God's judgment is inescapable apart from Jesus. Again, do we not see this today? Okay, our world is saturated with what's called world religions or modern cults. Okay? And when you look at these, analyze how many of them are attached to doing pretty things and good things to make you look good before a holy God. If I do enough of good stuff, then it'll somehow outweigh this bad stuff, this sin in my life. I'm going to tell you, that mentality is self-righteousness. It is moralism. It is hypocrisy. And Paul says that is not exempt from God's condemnation. 
Let's go into another layer of this hypocrisy, and we'll be done soon. <laughs> hypocrisy that presumes that God is obligated to show kindness despite my personal sin. Okay, here it is. Do you presume on the ri- verse four? Do you presume? on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to what? Repentance. So this verse so adequately describes what hypocrisy and judgmentalism do, and here's what they do. They maximize an unwarranted appreciation for God's love and mercy and grace and patience and kindness while they minimize God's expectation for sinners to repent from their sin. God's kindness is actually meant to do what? To guide us to repentance. That's what this passage says. When we talk about repentance, what are we talking about? Very simply, it's this. It's a change of heart and mind that will lead to a change of action and reaction. It is a remorse for offensive sin that leads to a change in lifestyle. At some point, it will lead to a change of lifestyle. It is remorse for the sin in my life that put Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. That's what this is talking about. By the way, I'll just say this. Sometimes this this doctrine of repentance is one of those that people want to keep over there. (laughs) Don't touch that with a 10-foot pole because at least all of these other discussions, I'm going to say this is not something we we leave over there with a 10-foot pole. No, we embrace it with all we've got. Because this is what Jesus preaches. This is what Paul preaches. This is what the apostles preach. This is clearly in our Bibles as the doctrine of repentance, remorse over sin. In fact, Jesus Christ Himself says, except you repent, you will all likewise perish. So what is Paul's flow of argument here? First of all, as you see this layer of hypocrisy in verse 1, it's this, I am, the hypocrite, hypocrite is excusing his own sin. Then we get into verses 2 and 3. Now the hypocrite is expecting God to also overlook his sin and excuse his sin. But now furthermore, in verse 4, here we find this, that the hypocrite expects God to still show him kindness, even in his personal sin. You see the flow of thought, how messed up it is? But it doesn't stop here. Because now the dagger comes in verse 5. Hold on. Hypocrisy. This is hypocrisy that is storing up God's wrath against personal sin. Verse 5 says this, But because of your hard and independent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Oh dear. (laughs) I mean, Paul doesn't candy coat this in the least bit. I mean, he's not tippy-toeing around his brother and sister Jewish friends that might read this. He's saying it like it is. Here's what he's saying. Self-righteous hypocrites who, because of the hardness and dirtiness of their hearts, have not come to Christ in repentant faith, will all participate in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed I mean, I don't know about you, but I get the sense that this is really, a really, really serious conversation. I mean, I get the sense when this is read to this group of believers in Rome, they're not like nudging each other, laughing, cutting jokes to each other. This is serious. 
It's not something to mess around with in the least as Paul writes this very sobering thought about God's eternal judgment. Let's just compare for a second the condemnation of chapters 1 and 2. Remember back to chapters one, uh, chapter 1. What was the condemnation like in chapter 1? Remember? It was happening. The chapter 1 condemnation is one that was going on right now. God gave them over that they might live out their condemnation. Do you understand what I'm talking about? In other words, they're experiencing not as much of this common grace. They have been released from this common grace and they are right now suffering the effects of their sin. Let's think about what Romans chapter 2 is saying. These people, these self-righteous people in their own hearts, they hang out with Jesus' people. They do worship type things. They maybe live even in some aspects a cleaner life. But here's what Paul is saying to them, and I, I don't think we can minimize how important this is. You may not be suffering the same condemnation that they are right now, but guess what you're doing? You're storing up for yourself condemnation for the day, the final day of wrath. Let's make this very practical, can we? As we close this out. Paul didn't candy coat this, neither can we. If you have not come to Christ in true repentant faith, and I'll, I'll just say that again because that's where all of this is leading, and I want to say praise God that when I look out in a body of believers here, I'm convinced there are followers of Jesus. Those who have come to Jesus Christ by saving faith. By grace, through faith. Praise God for that. You've repented of your sin. You've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But I do not take for granted that every single person here today has given their life to Jesus Christ in faith and repentance. That every single person here is not simply living with a facade. Making ourselves look pretty. Hanging out with Jesus' people. Singing the worship songs. But you've never repented of your sins before a holy God. I never want to take that for granted doesn't matter how many VBS stickers you collected over the years. It doesn't matter how many Bible verse ribbons you received. It doesn't matter how many perfect attendance awards you enjoyed in Sunday school. It, it doesn't matter how many people even check this. It doesn't matter how many people you personally led in the sinner's prayer. It doesn't matter how many, verse, how many years you served as a teacher, teacher or a deacon or an usher or a pastor. Because you're an inexcusable sinner who has not repented of your pride before a holy God, you have actually stored up for yourself a greater condemnation at the great white throne judgment. My friends, that's not just me saying this from this pulpit. That's God's holy So what? The conclusion is unavoidable here. Even religious people stand condemned before a holy God. Let's qualify that based on soteriology, that doctrine of salvation clearly taught in the Scriptures. Here it is. Even religious people stand condemned before a holy God, and those are religious people who have not Come to Jesus Christ in saving faith. Because that's where, the, that's where we're headed with all of this. 
So when you read through this, chapters 1 and 2, honestly, I mean, we're not going home doing, you know, cartwheels out to our cars. It's not something we're getting in a car saying, yeah, that was such an encouragement, Pastor Andrew. Thank you. I mean, that's not, that's not where we're at today. And by the way, if you're visiting today, I'm, I mean, you might, I don't know what to say to you. <laughs> Praise God you're here. Praise God that you're here to hear the Word of God. But, but we need to hear this. There's hope that's found in Jesus Christ. To the propensities of our own heart to live this self-righteous judgmentalism, Jesus Christ reaches into our hearts and saves us by His amazing grace. So here's a question we have to kind of ask this morning. Have you ever truly seen yourself as God sees you? Sure, created in God's image, as taught in Genesis chapter 1 in the beginning of our Bibles, but also not neglecting Genesis chapter 3 that shows us that every single person that comes from Adam is defiled by the rebellion of your sin-cursed heart. Even what might be known as the best of the best religious people, they can never deal with their sin problem on their own. As hard as they try, you can't erase that blot of black sin on your heart. What is the answer? You know it. Because we talk of it every week. You know it because we talk regularly of your Savior Jesus Christ. The one who shed blood washes away our sins. Though our sins be like scarlet, they shall be washed whiter than snow because of Jesus on the cross. So we have to ask this next question. Has God's kindness ever brought you to the place of repentance? Expression of God's kindness are all around us. And this kindness is meant to lead us to something. It is meant to lead you and me to repentance. A change of mind that leads to a change of action. Please understand this hope. There's hope for this self-righteous person. But it is not found in themselves. A culture around us tells us to dig deep into your own life and find this light of goodness in your own heart. And I say, don't do that. The deeper you dig into your own heart, the uglier it gets. The only way that you're going to see your heart the way God sees it is that two-edged sword that we prayed about a little bit ago. It's the Word of God. Digging deep into our hearts and exposing who we really are before God. My unbelieving friends who are here today, it is no mistake that you are here today. Those listening on the radio right now, those watching on the internet, it is no mistake that you've tuned in or logged on today. Even if you consider yourself a good person, if you've never come to God in repentant faith, please understand that just because you have a high view of your own goodness, it does not mean that God shares that same sentiment. You cannot hide the condition of your sin-stained heart from a holy God. This morning, would you come to Jesus Christ in repentant faith? This very day. Would you admit that you are a sinner who needs to turn from your sin? 
Would you believe on your new Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? And would you call on Jesus to save you? You may be sitting on your couch at home right now. Would you go to your niece and call on Jesus to save you? You may be driving in your car right now, listening to the radio. Would you pull over your car right now and call on Jesus to save your soul? My believing friends here today, we're not without a so what today. (laughs) What's the so what for us as we read through this passage? You know you've come to Jesus Christ in saving faith. You've repented of your sins. What's a so what for us? I mean, and this is what God has been ripping me apart with in my own heart this week. We're tempted daily towards some sort of spiritual elitism. Our fingers get tired from so much pointing. How quickly do we lose sight of the fact that we are sinners only saved by God's amazing grace? Every one of our days. It is a gift from a gracious God that is meant to be lived out in honesty and humility before a holy God. Have we lost sight of the fact that there's nothing that we have done, there's nothing we can do, there is nothing that we ever will do that will make God say, I really want that person? It is all of His grace. Entirely of His grace. So, our tour through Sin City the last couple weeks, the posh hills with churches on every corner, this was not for the sake of our big heads, but for the sake of broken hearts and bent knees. It doesn't matter if we've attended church since we were two days old. We were still born sinners, and Jesus rescued us only by His grace. Doesn't matter if we memorized every Bible verse in all of the New Testament. We were still born sinners, and Jesus rescued us only by His amazing grace. So let us not stop singing, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. A righteous God will condemn all self-righteous worshipers. Reason one, as we looked at today, because God's kindness will not ignore hypocrisy. Come back next week because it doesn't get any better. (laughs) Reason number two next week, because God's justice is impartial. If you would like to this week, I would encourage you to read through Romans chapter 2, 6 through 11 as we prepare our hearts to receive the word next week. So God, we thank you for this portion of Scripture. God, what was talked about today and what was received is not popular opinion. This is not something that we want to regularly hear of and feed of. Nonetheless, God, this is what we find in your holy word so we don't shy away from it. That you are not impressed by religiosity. You want our hearts. Your goodness and kindness and patience and mercy is not meant to make us feel good about ourselves. It is meant to lead us to repentance before you.
And so I pray today, Father, if there are ones here from young to old that are working through this in their own minds, that they would come to you today in faith and repentance. My friend, if you are here today, you are struggling through some of these truths that we looked at in the Word today. I want to encourage you, don't ignore these thoughts. God is drawing you to Himself. You may need to go home and and study some more through these passages. But don't stop with Romans 2. Find yourself in Romans chapter 3 and 4 and 5. And you're going to hear about this declaration of righteousness that God in His grace sent Jesus Christ here, the perfect God-man, to go to the cross for our sins. And my friends, it is even the sins of self-righteousness and judgmentalism. So if you have, if you have done your best to avoid this confrontation and this repentance, might I add, submit your will to this holy God today. Come to Him in faith and repentance. In just a minute, we're going to close out with a word of prayer and a song of an anthem of praise to our God. There will be those at the front, our chaplains, who would love to pray with you. If there's other burdens on your heart, they would also like to pray with you about those. There will be different ones of us who are elders at Cross Point Community Church who will be scattered around the auditorium and in the foyer. And we would love to talk with you more about what we talked about today. You may have some deep, deep questions about what we talked about today. We would love to talk with you about those things. But my encouragement to you is come to Jesus today. Don't delay. God, I pray that you would continue to do work in our hearts. For those of us who have come to you in faith, true faith, which is known in the Scriptures as repentant faith, God, I pray that you would please give us grace not to allow this arrogance and pride to well up in our hearts. Help us always to remember, just as the Apostle Paul says in another book, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, but by the grace of God I am what I am today. Let us never forget that. Thank you for the time we could spend in your word today. And our Father, we bring all of these words to you today, these prayers and this study, in the name of our Savior Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for listening to these tough words. (laughs) Thank you for walking through the ugliness of Sin City together. Hold on. Hold on couple more weeks of this and then I can't wait till we get into Romans chapter 3. I can't wait till we get into Romans chapter 4 and 5 and we breeze through the rest of this journey because brothers and sisters in Christ, it's beautiful because we have a beautiful Savior. But hold on till we get there. Hold on to the grace and mercy of God that we will see exposed through the rest of this book. Thank you for being here today. Uh, Some of you came ready to share of your resources. We've kind of foregone uh, doing the offering plates. There are boxes in the back. If you'd like to share of your resources that way, that's the best way to do it, or possibly even online if you'd like to do it that way. 